Hello there, we are your host Vivek and Pavitra from the Agile Coach Podcast. In this podcast, we bring fresh perspectives to you through our interviews with thought leaders in Agile Coaching, facilitation, business analysis, and product management roles. Enjoy! Matt, we're going to kick off with uh, this question. This is actually, this is a question that a lot of people ha- have. Um, so we want to know about um, Iron Triangle. So you've been around, you've worked in several different organizations, and, and you recently wrote an article around how to, um, how to think about Iron Triangle very differently. So let's just start with, um, help us understand what was it like to be uh, in in the waterfall days, and then like transition to an iron triangle model, and so let's yeah. just start there. Yeah, back in the Stone Age, you know, like I know this is not an age joke you're making, uh, Vivek, so that's fine. No, uh, no, 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 no. I think we've all had you know the early days of our you know uh, experiences and work where uh, we were working in a situation where it was just kind of. We didn't know as much as we know today. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But, yeah, man. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I was there in the waterfall, like, project, but I was, like, too young to, like, to understand <laughs> things from, like, a project level. I was, like, <laughs> I was an engineer. So, um, <laughs> so you know, because you've led, you've led some of those projects, too. So, yeah, help, yeah. help us understand. Yeah. Well, and I've been part of the problem. I'll be honest about that. You know, I, you know when you kind of, you receive, you inherit these ways of working that we've been receiving from, you know, early, early 20th century. Even uh, you kind of just imitate these things, maybe without even thinking or why is this appropriate anymore? And, you know, we, we talked previously about like, the difference between complicated environments and complex ones. And so mm. um, I think, you know, the, the whole iron triangle of project management back in the day, it was, it, it served some, um, some benefit, right? It, it was, there's some rigor around, managing processes, managing projects. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. So I, I don't want to gain, say, project management as a, as a practice. It's appropriate for certain types of environments. Uh, but yeah, it, it became you know, where we would, you know, you would, you would optimize for concerns like the scope, the cost, the time, the budget. And um, I think we all kind of had a sense that it was uncomfortable or it just wasn't working for us. And we we're building software or doing things that we fundamentally couldn't know ahead of time. You know, that's almost like a definition of complexity. And yet we didn't have any other ways to think about it. It's like, something doesn't feel right. We, you know, people get angry when there's a deadline. We don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Cutting scope has a negative connotation. Like, what? And, and yet the stuff we delivered still didn't always succeed. And so, yeah, I think we, 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 there was, we bore pain. We knew there was a better way. We didn't know what that was. Right. The first, the first time I kind of came came in contact with thinking differently about the Iron Triangle was, I think it was Jim Highsmith back at ThoughtWorks. Um, you know, when I worked at ThoughtWorks, uh, Jim. You know, obviously your listeners will know he's one of the signers of the manifesto. A, a amazing mind, a very humble and generous fellow as well. And if you haven't met him, he's just a he's a delightful uh, soul. But anyway, he he's. Um, he was the one who kind of, for me, brought into the, the question whether we should have these these things as the iron triangle, uh, as opposed to one bit of the triangle, which the the main idea would be values, thinking about value. And when you think about, it, we take a step back and you maybe look at the manifesto with fresh eyes, uh, especially the the one 
the manifesto principle that tends to get overlooked, but it's really quite quite important is um, optimizing the amount of work not done. Yep. Uh, you know, I think we all kind of memorize that maybe, but and we know it's in there. Sometimes it doesn't, we're like, I don't know, that's a little bit weird. It's a little bit kind of uh, esoteric. Yeah. But when you think about what the iron triangle of project management helps us focus on or optimize on, it's it's doing the plan. Optimizing for the plan uh, is how are we proceeding according to plan. And that's exactly what the opposite to what the manifesto and the idea of working software is our primary measure of, of progress, working yeah. stuff, whatever, you know, even if you're not working software. Yeah. And so it actually fundamentally changes what we optimize for mm-hmm. and then its value and, and maximizing stuff not done as opposed to if yeah. you have a project plan, a roadmap, you actually get dinged in a traditional project management sense if you don't accomplish mm-hmm. everything on the, on the project plan. As opposed to we've got a dozen things and if our goal is to increase customer satisfaction 10%, uh, maybe the first two things don't do anything. But the third thing actually increases customer satisfaction 15%. Yeah. That means we don't have to do all the other stuff on our plans. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a good thing. We should we should celebrate that as opposed to punish ourselves for not following the plan. Yeah. No, yeah. thanks for artic- uh, articulating that because that's the, that's as an agilist, as a product builder uh, myself, that's where I have, uh, I have failed and I've learned uh, <laughs> the hard ways. And I, and I, that's something I keep reminding myself. That's the one that I struggled, struggle the most. Um, so I have several examples. So, um, so customer concerns. So let's look at uh, another triangle. So customer concerns, we have return of investment, sentiment, and fitness. So help us understand this this model uh, on how we should think about um, our customers. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So I, for me, the, those those three things are kind of how we think about value and, and how we should think about value. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I want the type of person who says, well, don't just denigrate or tear down someone else's model without try, trying to supply something that you think might be better. So rather than optimizing for scope, cost, and time, which can be important, but fundamentally aren't really the, the things that drive success for people using products. Um, yeah, we, I talked previously about uh, Douglas Hubbard's book, How to Measure Anything. One of the things he talks about is really uh, the, the most important thing is whether someone will actually use this product and how quickly they'll use it. Mm. Um, which that doesn't really have much to do with the, the traditional project concerns. Rather, uh, the things that I'm proposing, return on investment, the question any consumer asks, is this worth my investment? Do I want to buy this? Is it worth it? Uh, whether you're buying software, going out to dinner, uh, buying a bottle of wine, is it worth it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sentiment, sentiment, do I love this? Uh, am I going to continue to subscribe to this, use this? Mm. And then fitness, how fit for my purpose is this thing? It might be a great product for someone, but it doesn't serve my needs. It doesn't, it doesn't help me accomplish my goals. So those are the things that I, I, I propose that we should be thinking about rather than, uh, or at least optimizing for those things rather than uh, the traditional concerns. Yeah. And uh, one question I want to ask you, Matt, is you're, you're big on fitness. So fit for purpose, right? So help us understand that that model, how you think about that um, from, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really, you know, I learned about through Kanban method in the Kanban community, but really the, this idea of uh, thinking from a, a customer or consumer's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a lot of times we build stuff 
because we think we know or because it, it suits our own needs. But um, always to be sensing and responding to whether this thing meets the needs of the people we're building it for, whether it's mm. a product or a service. And so it's really asking the question, what what does the customer value? We're talking about fitness criteria. Mm. You know, even think about, and listeners, maybe think about the last place you ordered food from or went to, went to dinner. Uh, why did you choose that particular place? What went into your decision criteria about choosing that? Why do customers choose us? A lot of times we think we know, but we don't really know unless we ask, unless we have ways of understanding fitness for purpose, what makes us fit for purpose in their eyes. Mm. Uh, it, it, it'd kind of be like uh, going out to dinner uh, uh, with your wife, with your friend, and you, you sit down uh, and you know you, you arrive, they, they don't seat you when they tell you they will seat you. And then the food comes out and it's utterly not what you ordered, not what you like. <laughs> and the chef coming out to your table and saying, you like this. <laughs> uh, this is fit for your purpose, right? It's, it's a kind of a silly example, um, but it's that's the kind of the, the, the crux here is that only the customer, only the consumer can define if it's fit for their purpose. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So uh, Matt, let's kind of go into experimentation. Um, I know you and I did before pandemic, we we got a chance to do that workshop together. Uh, so right. let's let's talk about experimentation. Why is that important for the organization, um, for the team? Why is yeah. that culture of experimentation important? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I'd be kind of linking it up with our previous thread, you know, like especially I know you have a lot of product people on your on, uh, who listen to your podcast. Mm -hmm. Thinking about understanding, like it's a it's kind of a, a conceitful idea that as product people, we could possibly know what our, our customers, what our users want, right? And so we have to experiment our way there. Uh, Marty Kagan talks about how modern product companies plan to fail, I think he says up to 75, 80% of the time on the first try. Uh, mm -hmm. with the first idea, but not ultimately because yeah. they iterate, they learn from that. And so we have to optimize for being wrong as opposed to optimize for being right. And that's really tough, especially for product yeah. people uh, because they are usually in positions because people are expecting them to know what to build. And uh, it doesn't absolve them of doing good research, experiment, you know, trying things. But ultimately the way you find out uh, from your customers, again, the chef coming to your table telling you this is what you like this is good um, you have to you have to be constantly understanding from what you're building and so this is the idea of building to deliver to learn and and feeding that in and so um, you know I think it's the idea of experimenting it's you know I, I work at Pfizer you know there's a lot of brilliant scientists you know obviously in the last couple of years the Pfizer vaccine um, you know amazing right it would be silly for any of our scientists to think I have I have on my first try my first idea for the vaccine is going to be the one that works and we're going to mm. just uh, we're going to we're going to build this we're going to we're going to create it in all our, our, our plants and we're going to ship billions of doses to the world and it's going to work uh, of course not right I mean no. kind of, it comes it comes naturally to scientific actual scientists yeah. we in product and, and, and delivery teams we need to understand that's the same complexity we're working in. We can't know what we don't know yet. And so experimenting our way to get there is, is the way to do it. Working in a complex environment. Yeah. And, and what and, and where does where does failure comes in? Like how, how do how do organizations see failures and how what's a way to um yeah. you know make actually create space for failures and that kind of integrate with the whole culture of um experimentation? Yeah. 
Well, I think it's like, a, you know, uh, this idea of psychological safety, creating the space for that to happen and how we deal with failures, you know? Yeah. Uh, when someone on your team does something that you didn't like, we'll just even say that. It could be a failure. It could be uh, something that you, you wouldn't have done, right? Yeah. How do you deal with that? How, how do you respond to that? That In that moment, it can make a huge difference in, in that relationship and how that, that person experiences being in the team. It can, yes. it can create ultimately a, a lack of safety, lack of interest in experimenting and trying things. Um, yeah. You know, you think, you know, I, we've probably talked about the famous example of the Etsy. You know, people know Etsy, the handicrafts marketplace. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think they've, I don't know if they still do this, but they've had a tradition of their uh, their new hires within a first the first few days, first week, whatever, actually getting to commit something to production. Which I think is a great, a great, cool thing. You know, connects people with purpose. There's the, there's the, the story about the guy who new hire. He's excited to be there. Great company. And his first week, he he does something catastrophic. I don't know if he blew away a database or he did something wrong. Anyway, it totally brought things down. And and you can imagine it being in that moment with as a guy. Like, how do you feel? Yes. Like, oh, Shit. I, this is the I've end. done it. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've exactly. personally done it, so I know exactly yeah. how it feels. Yeah. And, and you, I've done you know, it as a DBA, <laughs> so yeah. it's different right. than yeah, a, you know, it's exactly. different than it's different than when you do it as a, a developer. Developer, I mean, you find out a lot of stuff. <laughs> I've done it as a DBA, which is <laughs> really bad. <laughs> so I know exactly what right. you're talking yeah. about, Matt. You should know better, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Developers, we excuse, right? Um, yeah. Well, uh, so how, how did how did what was the response to when you you did it, or did, were you able to cover your tracks? And, that that get played. <laughs> this this is a different podcast. This is okay, not about okay. psychological safety. Okay, things, a, let's just say things pay, did pay not go right for me, and I did not become a DB. I changed my career. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. Uh, well, the, the story goes for this Etsy fellow that they actually, far from punishing him, far from making him feel bad, far from even like kind of neutrally saying, "Okay, well, we'll chalk it up to learning." Um, they actually commended him. They celebrated this because he had exposed something, a weakness in their in their system that they weren't aware of. And so can you imagine how that must have felt for this guy? I, I'm assuming I, I, I was not there firsthand, so I, I'm assuming this is this is all a true story. But um, imagine the, the, the feeling that you have of freedom, working in freedom, uh, fear, uh, re- reducing, you know, Demi talked about drive out fear. Driving out fear for that person, and how amazingly confident and engaged and willing to experiment with things that person would be, knowing that they they were trying to create safety, uh, you know, and make make processes such that they're resilient, so that if I make a mistake, I'm not. It's not a fragile thing that I'm going to. Well, I think we, we see this a lot, whether it's software or otherwise. People are afraid to change stuff because they don't know what they're going to break. Uh, can I change this process? Who's going to get mad at me? Who's in, who owns this? Right. So yeah. shared ownership is important in, in creating mm-hmm. safety. Um, but knowing that we're working in a safe environment, just like in a, in a physically safe environment, we know we're not going to blow things up or things are going to fall on our head, whatever. We want to think about that in creating an experiment um, environment for uh, knowledge work as well. Yeah, no, no, thanks for, thanks for articulating that, Matt. I uh, really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, that is, uh, we're coming to an end. Thank you so much for doing this three-part series for, with us. Uh, and Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Matt. I'm interested to hear from the listeners. If you have any feedback, I want to learn from you all too. So uh, feel free to, to send uh, feedback, uh, thoughts, feedback, critique, 
Uh, yeah, so that I, yeah. I can learn as well. And one of the things that we are experimenting, experimenting, Matt, is we're trying to engage um, our our um, listeners. So we will um, we will actually put this podcast in the blog section where people can ask questions, interact. So um, so we'll do Love that. And, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. That's great. Thank you too, Vivek. Take care. All right, that's a wrap with this episode. Thank you for listening till the end. We hope these podcasts are providing value on your Agile journey. If you haven't visited our website, theagilecoach.com, we highly suggest you for other courses and supporting material on your journey. You can also get access to our self-paced courses or learn more about the live training that we provide to become a Scrum Master, Product Owner, Product Manager. With that, we will see you on the next episode. Love and best wishes from the Agile Coach.